smash plates, it's not actually a bad thing. It's a celebration. It's a cultural thing. So today we're going to talk about culture. Um, what is culture? Well, culture is the common set of assumptions, attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors of a group of people, right? I know it's a bit of a techie sort of definition, but just, just run with it for a moment. It's a common set of assumptions or attitudes or values or beliefs or behaviors of a group of people. Now, most often we see it in uh, national groups or ethnic groups. So we talked about Asians and Greeks. Uh, and, and so, for example, if you've ever been to um, the Middle East or even Central Asia, you could be a complete stranger and they will invite you into their home put a meal out for you. And even if they're like not very wealthy, they have like one goat in their family, they will kill, slaughter, cook the goat just for you, even if you're a stranger. Like if you don't, if you've never seen hospitality like this, uh, which I haven't, uh, that is pretty normal for a lot of cultures in Central Asia or some places in the Middle East. Um, or for example, um, have you heard of the, the phrase Islander time? Islander time, Pacific Islanders, uh, they don't really care so much about being on time or when, when, when it says, you know, the party will go to 3 p.m., it could go to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, like Islander time is flexible. Again, it's a cultural thing. It's common for them just not to care about the clock because that's how they do it in their culture. But the thing is, culture is not always easy to identify, is it? I mean, it's easy when you compare it to like another ethnic group that's so different to ours. But actually, there's a whole bunch of cultures around, and they're not easy to identify because some people say that culture is like the silent language, right? The silent language, or especially if, if, if it's your culture, you don't even think it's a cultural thing. Because it's just the way we do things around here. Yeah? It's just the way we do things around here. It's a silent language. But one way that we can tell what's culture is it's culture when ignoring it will have consequences. That's when you know that something is a cultural thing. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you're at a meal and someone is talking while chewing their food. Now, in Western circles, how do people feel about that? Pretty bad. Like, it's like, oh, you can't do that. Talk with your mouthful. But if you ever go to a Chinese meal, that's pretty much how everyone talks. There's spit flying everywhere. That's cultural. So people are talking with their mouths full right, is a cultural thing that in the West will have consequences if you uh, do something uh, like that. So that's how you know it's cultural. Breaking the cultural taboo will have consequences. Uh, here's the other thing, though. It's not just countries and ethnic groups that have cultures. Any group of people, any group of people has their own cultures. So um, schools and uh, companies, but also families, right? Families, homes. Even if you live by yourself on your own, there's a certain culture. This is just the way you do things around here. So I'll give you another example. Um, how in the, maybe in the home you grew up in. How were family mealtimes treated? In some families, it's culture to make sure everyone's sitting around the table at the same time. In other families, it doesn't really matter. Dad's in front of the TV, mom's eating in the kitchen, kids bring their meals to their rooms, whatever. They're cultural things. Uh, so again, in, in just the people around you, and again, please uh, look up. If someone's not chatting to anyone, just shuffle next to them. It'd be really good to make sure everyone has someone to talk to. Why don't you share with each other what are some cultural things or some values and practices in your family or in your home that you don't maybe see in other people's? Have a chat about that.
Sounds like there's some interesting conversations. I would love to keep it going, but because of time, we might cut it short. I am interested. Uh, if you heard, it, you can dob someone else in, all right? You want to dob someone else in? Someone, has anyone just in, in your discussions either shared or have someone else share about a, a family or a, a, a home practice that's sort of unique or maybe even a bit strange or interesting? Share it. Kieran's family holds hands. Yeah, Kieran's family, family holds hands when they say grace. Okay, that's really, yeah, that's a family cultural practice. Other, other things? repeat that. So in Italian, in Italian families, you can only get married uh, in order of birth for daughters, for daughters. So if you're the youngest daughter and your oldest sibling, oldest sisters haven't been married, you're going to have to wait. Wow. That's harsh. Yeah, yeah, nice. A bit of pressure too. Okay. Other, other, other interesting cultural practices, oh, sorry, family practices or home things. Any, any else? Yeah, so a, a, a home wouldn't uh, start eating until grandfather, the oldest of the family, the oldest male of the family, has sat down and they acknowledged him. Okay, yes, Dan. I can say this because my wife is here. Yeah, you can talk, talk your wife's family, yeah. Her family, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after, after grocery shopping, May's family, God bless them, would sit around and fold up all of the shopping bags, meticulously. Yeah, and you refused to do it, and that had consequences. They still let you marry their daughter, that's pretty good. Um, she doesn't fold bags anymore, you've, you've converted her into non-bag folding. I look... I'll keep chatting about those things. I'm sure there's some really interesting ones. But as I said before, it's not just ethnicities, not just families. There's some, such a thing as company culture. You might have moved companies and felt the cultural difference, school culture. And of course, churches. Right? When you are new to a church or you visit another church, that's when you begin to pick up on cultural differences. If you're new or visiting church at 10, and some of you are, you'll know that there are some things that are different to the church you came from. So uh, when I was on holidays, we went to a church in Taipei, in Taiwan. Uh, this church uh, was a large church, uh, met in a warehouse, a converted warehouse. The, the people up front were all young and good looking. Their clothing was casual, but unlike me, their clothing was stylish, or as my kids would say, they dripped out. Um, the music was a uh, full band. There were lights, like flashing lights. It was concert loud, so loud that they actually put earplugs for the first few front row people that they could use. Now, in other churches, if you introduce that same kind of music or the same kind of casual clothing, you'd get some serious complaints, right? But that was their culture, their church culture. So today, I want to ask us the question, what is our vision for Church at 10? culture. What's our vision for this church's culture? In other words, what assumptions 
attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors do we want for our church? Now, of course, they need to be biblical and they need to be godly. Like, you can't have cultural elements that are sinful or disobedient. And it's entirely possible. Um, I think every church will have cultural elements that aren't so good, like a culture of gossip, for example, or a culture of bullying, or a culture of arrogance, or a culture of favoritism. But we want to not just avoid the negative, of course. Positively, we want to aim for things that distinctively and specifically um, characterize us, that is about us, that we can value and aim towards. And they may be actually quite different to another good church down the road. All right, so what I'm saying is this. There are always going to be common values that every church will want. Like every church wants to be loving. Every church wants to be and needs to be um, true to the Bible. Every church needs to be prayerful or welcoming or caring. And they're all great things and we want them, of course. But when it comes to vision for culture, uh, it'd be great to have something a little bit more specific than those. For our church, right? Because then we will know this is distinctively us and these are good things that we value. And in fact, the early churches give us a glimpse, the earliest churches, I mean in the Bible, give us a glimpse of culture and I suspect quite distinctive culture. And so we read in Acts chapter 4 a picture of the earliest church, really, the church in Jerusalem. And again, just in your pairs or your groups, just for a moment, what are some of the things that characterize that church. What is that Jerusalem church, at least at that time, what were some things that were part of their church culture? Um, just the passage we read, or if you can open your Bibles again, Acts chapter 4, verses 31 to 35. Why don't you have a chat and see what we come up with? What are some of the cultural things true to that church? They're v- things that value. We've got a few there already. I'm just hearing snippets. It's pretty easy to pick up, right? Uh, There's a prayerfulness, which is great. There's a boldness to speak the word of God. But I think particularly characteristic of this early church was the idea that the believers were united and they were generous. They shared everything they had. And, And that was a beautiful picture of the early church. Now, I suspect this wasn't the culture of every single early church. But as Luke, the writer of Acts, looked back to that church, there was something really unique about their church culture, which is beautiful. And so what I want us to have a think about, as I said, is a vision for our church, our church's culture. And, I, and there's four things, there's four values that I would love us to really lean into in the coming year, hopefully for the years to come. Now, and the reason why I chose these four is, again, I didn't want them to just be generic things, but also I wanted them to be things that to be honest, we already have in some part in our church, that they already, in a sense, are part of church at 10 culture. But 
I would love to, and we would love to, together fan them into flame even more. So they're not random. They're not just any four. There are lots of things we could have chosen. But let me just uh, show you four that I believe if we prayerfully make them just the way we do things around here at Church at 10, it'd be really great. So I made them short, specific, and memorable. And I'd love to see if anyone can memorize them and think about uh, and remember them even next week. So here's four of them. The first one is, and you've already heard these before because we use it quite a lot, head, heart, and hands. Head, heart, and hands. Informed by the word, transformed for the world. I'm going to go through each of them in, in, de- in more detail later on, but that's the first one. Ready for the second? Partners, not passengers. In church and mission, everyone gets to play. Next one. God's heart is our heart for the neighbors, the needy, and the nations. And then number four, Jesus is worth it. Holding nothing back in living and giving. Okay, I'm going to go through them one by one. Uh, But some of these you've already heard, some of them already sort of part of our church's life. But I want to go through them one by one and show you an example from a first century church that I think embodies it. So let's go to the first one. Head, heart, and hands. This is about how we treat and value the Bible, the Word of God, informed by the Word, transformed for the world. And the the church I want to take you to as an example is the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1, have a look at the passage. Paul writes, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake? You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message, or the word, in in the midst of severe suffering, and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's word rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. You see that, don't you? Like this was a church who received the word, it bore fruit, and it went out from them. And we do not want to be a church that is only just intellectual, Right? You understand the word, you're really good at it, knowing it, and that's it. No, we want to be head, heart, and hands. We want to not just have intellect at the expense of deep affections, deep heart change. But on the other hand, we don't want to be a church that's just emotional, a lot of feelings, but gullible and intellectually shallow. Or we don't want to be a church that just has lots of knowledge or feeling, But there's no change, no social action. Or we don't want to be a church that just has lots of social action, but like some churches, great at social action, but have actually gone quite far away from the Bible and the Scriptures. See, at Church at 10, we want to take head seriously. We don't, don't ever take that for granted. The intellectual knowledge side is important. Our teaching and learning God's Word, right, is really important. And actually... Quite frankly, what we, a lot of you have, not just from this church, but also um, in your own readings and courses and conferences like Catalyst that I just ran last week, 
A lot of our teaching and training is more than what some pastors get in many countries. You know that? So never take that for granted. But I reckon that head side of things is probably easier for our tribe in Sydney, okay? Which means we also want to take the heart seriously, yeah? We don't, want to be sh- we don't want to shy away from being deeply moved and affected. So we want to express emotions that the word brings out. Joy, compassion, grief, indignation. We want to be deeply moved when we worship God and when we share God's word with each other. Because information alone never transformed anyone. For transformation to happen, it must go deep into our hearts and affect our desires and our wills. So we want to take heart seriously. But we also must translate it into active and transformed hands. See, like the Thessalonians, the word impacted them and then it went out from them. Right? Hands. The world does not need more Christians with just a lot of knowledge or just a lot of feeling. It needs us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay, so that's pretty simple, right? Head, heart, and hands, informed by the word, transformed for the world. So let me apply that, firstly personally and then for us corporately. Personally, I think we all will personally lean towards one of the three, yeah? Naturally, I naturally lean towards head. Maybe you lean towards heart, or maybe you lean towards hands. And that's, that's fine, all of us do. So, um, but it means that when we, if we naturally lean towards one, we will tend to neglect the other two or perhaps at least one of the three. So ask yourself the question, which do you naturally lean towards? Which do you naturally more neglect? I think for me, I naturally more neglect the hand side. And so what would it mean for you personally to address that kind of imbalance? Yeah, What, what, what might it look like for you? You don't have to work hard on the one you lean towards, but you probably have to work hard the ones you neglect. So what would that look like for you? You might want to think about that for yourself. Personally, but corporately, what does that mean? For us in worship gatherings like this, right? We want to, uh, one thing we hope to be able to do is this year we want to incorporate more time for testimonies and stories and interviews during our services and more time. You've already experienced this, by the way, in Church of 10, more time for response. Yeah, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, yeah, it's time for you to chat amongst yourselves, time for you to apply, time for, Time for you to pray together. We want to incorporate those. And in, in our community groups, super important. Uh, but we also, in, in community groups this year, want to focus more time given over to the heart and the hands. I think over the years, they've kind of been more concentrated on just doing Bible study, and that's good. But we've kind of not left any time for us to really respond with our hearts and our actions. So we're going to start each week in community groups this year by keeping each other accountable and talking about how we applied God's word from the last time we met, right? And then we'll end each time with, all right, what does this mean for us? And then we'll come back to that next time we meet. So there are going to be some changes, again, trying to get the head, heart, and hands thing happening. Now, you're not going to experience that if you don't come on Sundays and if you're part of a community group. So let me just add that to Dom's plug. Get involved. By the way, we're going to have community groups that meet in all sorts of places on different times and different regularities. Not every group is weekly on a weeknight. So please talk to Dom about this because we'd love to plug you into a group that might work best for you. Now, that's the first one. Who thinks they can remember head, heart, and hands? not hard, right? Head, heart, and hands. Kind of catchy. Next one. Partners, not passengers. Partners, not passengers. Now, I'm going to give you an example from the early church, but it's going to be a negative example. This is the don't be like this church example, okay? And it comes from 1 Corinthians. Don't be like them. 
because Paul uh, writes to them because they're not like this. But this is what he writes, what it should be like. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Skip to verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Skip ahead a few verses. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you want to take all those verses as a directive, but I'm just telling you the church that he's writing to, the Corinthian church, is not the church you want to follow because he's writing to them because they're not like this, okay? They were the opposite of this. Um, their, their church was not an everybody gets to play kind of church. Only some did, and those who did made others who didn't feel left out or feel lesser. That's not the kind of church we want to be. And I don't think we are. Thankfully, church at 10 is not like that. But I don't think we're quite there yet when it comes to everyone gets to play, okay? Right? I, mean, I mean that in the kind of, it's, it's a way to remember it. Everyone gets to play. We're not talking about sport or, or a game. But you kind of get what I mean. Everyone has a part to play is what I mean. Um, but not everyone plays their part perhaps, because of other reasons, not maybe the Corinthian reasons, but other reasons. So maybe, um, maybe you're a passenger at church uh, because you got used to being a passenger, or that's all you've ever known. The kind of church you've ever been to has always been a passenger church. Just come, observe, and go home, right? Maybe that's what you're used to, and that's why you're not actively a member, playing your part. Or maybe you just don't know how you can get involved. You're not sure what part you can play. You feel like, I'm not gifted enough, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm too new. And maybe that's why there are some people here who aren't playing their part. Well, again, I want to apply this personally and then apply it corporately, because what we're aiming for is that we're all partners, and we're all partners, and none of us are going to be passengers, and everyone does get to play. So personally, if you are a passenger for whatever reason, just ask yourself, what's one little step I can take this year to be an active member? What's, what's one step? Right? Volunteer for something. Have a go at something. Doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be upfront. Doesn't have to be showy. Just what's one part I can play? Come and speak to me. I'd love to help you do that. Or corporately together, if you are already an active member and look, a lot of you are. You're already playing a part, many parts. Good on you. Thank you so much. Let me uh, encourage you, if you're already playing a part, whatever it is, you know, teaching kids' church, doing morning tea, welcoming other... How about this? Find someone you can bring alongside you in what you're doing so that they can see, they can have a go, and that you can help them also do the thing that you're doing, right? That's a wonderful way of introducing someone who may be new or not really sure of this church and just say, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be welcoming people next week. Do you want to just turn up half an hour early with me next week and let me show you what I, have, what I do? And before, before long, they'll be like, hey, this is not that bad. Or I'm teaching kids' church today. Hey, you know what? 
would you be interested in just following and having a look at what we do at Kids Church? It's easy, right? So if you're already active in some way, and a lot of you are, this year find someone else who isn't and just ask them to come along with you. There you go. That's one way of applying so that we can all be partners, not passengers. Right? What was the first one? Anyone remember? Head on hands. What's this next one? Partners, not passengers. You memorize this. It's easy, right? Okay. Next one is this. God's heart equals or is our heart. Uh, we want to be a church that keeps looking outwards to our neighbors, to the needy, and to the nations. And the great example of this is the early church of Antioch. That is the first truly missionary church to all the nations. And it's also the first non-Jewish church, the first Gentile church um, in, the, in, in the first century. So uh, let me just give you some background. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that's who become his name would be known as Paul later on. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread throughout the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, this was a church that immediately thought about the needy. But of course, more than that, this was a church that became the launching pad for world mission. So later on in Acts 13, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And you read the rest of Acts, especially the early missionary journeys. Antioch is the sending place. Antioch is the place they came back to. Without this church in Antioch, we would not exist. Right? There would be no non-Jewish Christianity without Antioch. Now, if you've been a part of uh, Church at 10 for any length of time, you'll know that we really care about global mission. Right? We really care about unreached people groups. Uh, Jamin's just come back, and we're going to hear from Jamin a bit more next week. Right? Uh, Johnson and Grace's family are, are hoping to head off for a, a short term. By short term, we mean like a couple of years uh, overseas. Uh, we've got Kerry and Heidi uh, and their family right, being part of... Uh, training to reach unreached people in, in North Africa. We've got uh, John uh, Walsh, who we partner with because he's developing apps for mission, for the spread of the gospel. We really care about this. Uh, and, and one way that we're going to take it as a church one step further, all right, this year, is we're going to do better at helping to fund our missions, our global missions, and those we sent and funded better because, quite frankly, the way we've been funding it is only meeting about half of their needs. So the way we've been funding Global Mission so far is we take a percentage of our church budget, we tithe with 10%, and we direct that towards our mission partners. And for, the, for, for a number of years, that's worked. But as God has called more people that we want to send, and as the needs of our mission partners have increased, a lot of them have families or going to countries, uh, we're really only meeting about half 
of what, what they need and half of what we want to give them. So what we, one thing we're going to do this year is we're going to start a separate global missions fund. And you're going to hear about this more next week because we're going to think about not just giving towards mission, but just giving in general. But what we want to do is we want to be able to still give that tithe, that 10% of our church budget towards our mission partners. But remember I said there's about half of that that's met through that. The other half, roughly $44,000 a year, we want to be able to get our members, that's you guys, right? Uh, along with our brothers and sisters at uh, Kingsgrove, to actually, through a pledge system, to give on top and above so that we can meet the needs of our global missionaries, both now and into our future. But you'll hear more about that next week, uh, but that's where we're aiming, to have a global missions fund so that we can better support and send to the nations. But of course, God's heart is also for those closer, the neighbors and the needy. And so, let me apply this firstly corporately, us as a church, right? Uh, we have an opportunity to be a light, a beacon in Bankstown. And we're only just tapping into that. But like some of the things we're doing, we have ESL teaching on Mondays. This Saturday, we've got a Lunar New Year store. That is probably the easiest opportunity we can just be a light to our neighbors in Bankstown. So if you haven't volunteered to spend a couple of hours with us this coming Saturday to be a face uh, to, to the community in Bankstown, invite them along to Invitation Month, uh, please um, let me know or go on Facebook. There's a link uh, I think Dom can put it up later on for you to sign up for that. All right, so find ways, and we're going to keep finding ways to be a light and a beacon in Bankstown. Uh, and if you're wondering, if you've heard about, you know, the, the plans to redevelop this property long term down the track, um, it's not just because, you know, they want a big property that we can boast and, you know, brag to everyone else and flex. No, the property serves the mission. We've got a university across the road. There's gonna, Bankstown Hospital is going to be across the road in the next few years. There's so many opportunities. Imagine having a ministry center that is able to cater for that. We can really do something corporately. So when the time comes, get involved. Personally, personally, I think this is about a heart thing, right? Remember, um, it's God's heart is our heart. We want our heart to align with God's heart. And so we need to look with different eyes. Let me, give, let, me, let me spell that out for you. Almost everyone in the world, um, a lot of Christians, myself included, we're often at a certain place, whether it's working or studying or living, Bankstown, for example, right? or, or you go on holidays, you go to a place because of what you can get from it, right? We're all about what we can get. You are at a certain school because you want this kind of education or a university because you want this education or TAFE. You are in a certain job, in a certain company because of what you can get from it, money, career. Right? You're in a, in a particular relationship even because of what you can get. You live in a particular city, Sydney or Southwest Sydney, because of what you can get from it. And the moment that they don't fulfill your needs, you move. Now, I want you to have a think about being the kind of person who's not always asking what can I get, but what can I give? I change our perspective because that's, that's God's perspective. God is never on about what can I get. He's always on about what can I give. So whether you're at school, you're at university, somewhere studying, it's not just what I can get. What can I give? You're at a job with a certain company, with a certain group of people. Not just what can I get, what can I give? You live in this part of Sydney. You have neighbors on your street. Not just what can I get, but what can I give? And I mean that in the broadest sense. Ultimately, we want to give people the hope of Jesus. 
but we also want to be the hands of Jesus. And once you start having God's heart, you start thinking, what can I give? I'm not just here for me, I'm here for everyone around me. That might just be a perspective change that we need. As you walk your neighborhood, as you go to your local shops, not what I can get, what can I give? Yeah? Something to pray about, something to think about. Okay, so that's the third one. God's heart is our heart. First one? Head, heart, and hands. Second one? Partners, not passengers. Third one? God's heart is our heart. Last of all, very easy to remember, Jesus is worth it. Because in order to have God's heart, it's going to be costly. So, best example, I think, is the Macedonian churches. Macedonia was a region, and it included, if you know the book of Philippians, Philippi, Uh, was such a church. But look what Paul said about the churches in Macedonia. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Okay, this was a church that was poor, but said, please let us give. (laughs) And this last one is the most important. It gets to the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And when you're in relationship with Jesus, you realize he is worth it. He is worth it. Because here's the thing, having God's heart will be costly. Changing our church culture where it needs to be changed in areas will be costly. But we always want to remind ourselves, don't we, that it's worth it because Jesus is worth it. Absolutely, 100% worth it. And 2 Corinthians, by the way, tells us why later on. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's why. Jesus gave up everything. See, that Global Missions Fund I talked about, we'll talk about it more next week. Uh, it's not instead of supporting, your, not instead of giving your regular financial, if you're regular, sorry, your regular financial uh, partnership to this church. It's not instead of it. We're actually asking you to consider on top of it, above and beyond. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Only if Jesus is worth it. Or moving from being a passenger to a partner. Like, it'll cost you time and energy. Ministry with people can and does sometimes even break your heart. Why would you do it? Jesus is worth it. Or really going deep into God's word, whether for you it's head, heart, or hands. To not leave any aspect of your life unexamined, uncommitted, untouched by God and his word. Maybe for you to even join and be committed to a community group this year. That will be painful because you can't be complacent and you can't do the Christian life solo. Why would you do that? Jesus is worth it. There's been a number of weddings recently um, amongst our community as well. Uh, Queen just got engaged as well. Congratulations, Queen. Um, and let's admit it, if, if, you, if you are a groom or you've been a groomsman, it's much harder for the bride, isn't it, on the wedding day? It's so much harder for her. Like my wedding... It was like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. I got up at 9, p- 9 a.m. with my best man, and we went and hit 50 golf balls at the driving range. Took our time, came back, ate breakfast, showered, changed, went to the, 
Karen was up at 4 a.m., right, for a 1 p.m. wedding. And why do women spend so why do brides spend so much time and effort? It's because it's worth it, because she wants to look her best. And, and believe me, the grooms think it's worth it too when they're standing. I've done so many weddings. They're standing there, they see their bride walk up the aisle and the, the smile or the tears, right? It's worth it because she looks radiant. She looks beautiful. And every single wedding, this has been the case. It's been worth it. You know what the Bible says? The church is Jesus' bride. And our wedding day is coming when he returns. We are Jesus' bride. The wedding day when he returns. And doesn't Jesus deserve a beautiful bride? He does, doesn't he? He died for us. So it's our job to prepare the church, prepare each other, prepare ourselves for that wedding so that we might be beautiful. And one way to do that is to have a beautiful church culture. So that's what we're aiming for this year. What are the four things? First one? Hit hard hands. Second one? Partners, not passengers. Third one? God heart, God's heart is our heart. And last of all, Jesus. most importantly, Jesus is worth it. Why don't we get ready to sing? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are worth it. So continue through our gatherings, through our conversations, through our lives, through our groups, to show us how truly you are. Absolutely 100% worth it. And for all the cultural things we want to change and lean into as a church, help us be that for your glory so that we might be that beautiful bride for you, Lord Jesus. Amen.